The following presentation was recorded live by the Jewish Ethics Institute. Happens to be this week's parsha is um, all the laws of Shemitah, which um, are really only relevant in Eretz Yisrael um, if you're a farmer. Actually, not even if you're not a farmer. Um, there's a lot of practical stuff if you're living there because you're, you're even buying the produce. We'll talk about that. But there's a lot actually relevant to business, believe it or not, even if you don't live um, in Israel. So I wanted to talk about just the, the philosophy behind it and discuss some of the laws. And this is, it, most of it is in this week's parasha. This week's parasha is a double header. Once again, it's called Bahar Bichukotai, which is the last two, it's the end of Vayikra, the last two parashos in Vayikra. So it begins like this. It starts off saying, front page is all the psukim. It says, Vayidaber Hashem Moshe Bahar Sinai So God spoke to Moshe at Har Sinai saying, it's actually very, sounds very standard verse, but um, the Medrash and Rashi, all the, all the commentaries go to town. Why it mentioned specifically here Har Sinai. What's, um, mm-hmm. It's actually the famous expression, English expression, which is, what does it have to do with the price of tea in China? It comes from this verse. Rashi says uh, the expression, the Hebrew expression is, what does Har Sinai have to do with Shemitah? My in Shemitah is Har Sinai. It's apples and oranges. What does it have to do with the price of tea in China? Why are we mentioning here? All of a sudden, every single mitzvah is given at Harsina. Right? It, every mitzvah it says, Vaydava Shelo Moshe, Lema. God spoke to Moshe saying, Here it throws in at Harsina. What is Harsina? Only place? Um, I can't tell you for sure. The only place, but for sure, maybe one other place. So, it's a while. There's obviously a reason why it's throwing it in over. There's really nothing to do with Shemitah. Rashi ex- explains that the point is. Torah goes through long, around 25 verses, discussing the details of Shemitah. Okay, so, so Rashi explains that the, the point the Torah is making here is just as this mitzvah, and all its details were given at Sinai, because many times we have a mitzvah, it's important to know, um, especially in the field of outreach, that many times we have mitzvahs that the Torah just gives you the highlight, gives you the heading, and Torah says, put on tefillin every day. What's tefillin? No clue what it is. Black boxes, four parshas. I mean, a lot, most of the details are missing from the mitzvah. So that's one of the issues that um, throughout the ages, throughout different denominations, ah, it's only rabbinical, it's not uh, biblical, as Rob would say. Mm-hmm. It's purely rabbinical. Right? What is, what is, no, it's not in the Torah. It doesn't say that in the Torah. So the message Rashi explains here is the Torah is telling you, just as this mitzvah Shemitah, not just the highlights were given. Every single last detail of the mitzvah was given, as the Torah says at Har Sinai. It's to tell you that also to all the other mitzvahs that so you think only the, you know, the principle was given, but the details were made up by the rabbis. The Torah is telling you now, this all mitzvahs, just as this one, were all given at Sinai with all its details, all its minutia. That's the message. Um, that's how Rashi translates. So no, it's not a new thing that people are complaining that uh, it's the rabbis. It's been a, it's obviously so Rashi's time too. You would argue that that they picked these to be detailed, or it was picked to be detailed, even though it's maybe not the most relevant. I mean, like you think you care more about the film, right? Or you? Yeah. Okay. But the, so why specifically Shemitah was picked? It's a good question. Yeah. Ramban asked the question. On Rashi says, "Very nice. You're answering the question, but." Why was it? Why specifically did we pick it on Shemitah? No, it's, well, for, that's a good point. I'm thinking two things. One is they didn't. This is a new thing. They didn't have Shemitah, right? This is they're bringing it down. They didn't do it before, did they? 
because it's only in the well, land of Israel. Yes. So he's giving, giving them to him it, right. He's giving it. He's giving them something that they can't use. Just like perhaps if you're out of the land, you can't. You know what I'm saying? I'm trying. So, this, so that's I mean, what Rashi's what are you answering? What do you? I'm thinking maybe that's the reason why it says Bahar Sinai is like just as though this. Look, I'm giving you a law that there's going to be nothing to you here. It's going to be only in the land of Israel. But you know what? You've got to know everything about it, even if you're not in the land of Israel. So, the, the, you know, you see what I'm saying? I, I'm not not that I don't like Rosh's answer, and certainly, but it's kind of like a. What does that have to do with the price of Okay, fine. That's a great, but. But g- give me a little more. Why, why else would he have done? It? I mean, right. y- y- so it's not. It's not right. So Rashi's saying there's a general message for all the six thirteen that you should just know. Just that the details, every last minutia was given here to this mitzvah. So to everything, and the Torah stating it was given at Har Sinai, and we believe God wrote the Torah. So God's telling you all these minutia were given at Har Sinai. So too every other mitzvah was given at Har Sinai. That's that's a Rashi. Ramban. Has issues with it, he argues. No, they have issues. I just you have issues. There's nothing I, wrong with having issues. I just I just think there might okay. be something more, especially if this is one of a few, if not the only place that it kind of changes up the right. script. That's all. So that's one uh, that's just a general nice side point. Then the Torah goes on to say, Dabra when Israel, go on speak to the children of Israel, Martha Lam. When you come to the land of Israel, which I will give to you, and the land shall rest, the Shabbat to the Lord. It goes on to say, what, what are the prohibitions? Six years you shall sell your field. Six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather in your produce. And the seventh year, Shabbat Shabbaton Yelarts. It should be a complete Shabbat rest to the land. Shabbat Lashem, also Shabbos for the Lord. Just a very similar language used by Shabbos as the seventh day of the week, which we'll talk about. Sadcha Los you shall not sell your field. The Kamacha Los shall not prune your vineyard. Okay. Um, okay, now again, so what's interesting is there's one just as an aside, there's a question whether the prohibition, and we're going to talk about it, is on the individual not to work the land, or is it on the land? Is it that the land is an obligation, the mitzvah is the land shall rest, or is it the mitzvah that you as a farmer shouldn't do work? No, it's, what, what, one, what is it? So there's discussion about that, there's actually, seems to be different opinions, but from the language of the verse, um, that we just read, the verse says very clearly, Shabbat Laaretz, right? It should be a day, a, a complete rest to the of the land. Sounds like the land shouldn't be worked. There's a practical difference because this is very relevant today in Israel. Can an Arab, can you hire an Arab to work your land? Meaning, if it's a dead on the individual, it's me, I can't, as a Jewish farmer, work the land. Can I hire a uh, guy or non-Jew to work the land? Um, or is it, no, the land should rest. What is it? Is it, is, it, is it for the individual or for the land? That's the question. Yeah, but then he goes on then in verse in the next verse to say, okay, he, he's explaining what he means, I think. But Don't yeah, do the I work. Mean. Yeah, but the question is, again, let's say I'm not doing the work. That's exactly the question. Is there still a problem? If I hire an Arab to, to work the land, is that is that okay? Well, or if is, the Arab I'm not doing the work. Just like Shabbat, Shabbos, right? If a guy does something for me and I didn't tell him to do it on Shabbos, Let's say a guy turns on my lights, there's no issue. Right, you didn't tell him to do it. I didn't tell him to do it. So let's say I... Nobody's going to so say, I hey... Uh, it's the same, the same shtick we can do on Shabbos, which is, you know, you hint to the guy, you don't tell him that, right? So can I do that? I'd say no, because, I mean, you're, there's benefit for him doing it on Shabbos, I understand. 
but the benefit is the benefit of working the land it could be Parnassa, could be it, it could be longer than, than just what you're doing on that shop. It, it, it's over True. the year. I, but the I question just, is I, again: I is it way. if it's not, if it's just a me? The prohibitions on the individual. There's no prohibition. There's no concept that the land has to rest. It's about me. But it's I your land. Work. Your land. Yes. I your land must yes. rest. Your land must rest. It's my opinion. That's what the that says. According to those opinions, they say the language seems to imply that they're proof. The fact that it says Shabbat Laaret, it should be a Shabbat for the land. Twice. And then it says, you look in verse uh, 6. But that would seem to imply that all the land is Jewish. Because what are you going to do? In, oh, only in the state of Israel. Sorry. It's only in the state of Israel. So there's a good question. When, what happens in Arab land? That's a different question. We'll talk about also that's another big issue which is today one of the big loopholes in Israel is they sell the land it's called Hatta Mechira they sell the land to an Arab actually the government it's an amazing thing the state of Israel has a contract this chief rabbi sits down just like we sell a Chomet sits down before Shemitah which was this season Shemitah year so before Rosh Hashanah of this year there's an Arab guy who basically buys the whole country he owns the whole country this is one of the loopholes for the year contract for a year, he owns the land for a year. So, one of the loop, it's called the Hetem Mechir. Put it here. Fascinating thing. You turn, turn to the back page. So, Shmermans of this year is going to be really expensive. People, uh, there are people that won't buy from Israel. Hey, how are you? Just us girls today, huh? Yeah, just the guys. Have a seat. Do we even have some uh, vegetarian fare for you? The chicken looks like chickens, really not. <laughs> so, <laughs> tofu. Tofu chicken. I'm joking. I'm joking. I don't want to. Smells like tofu chicken. Yeah. It's, I'm an ethicist. I can lose my job. What we get in China? So uh, I, I, I don't do. So you look what it says it's there. It's just very tough. I mean, I understand what so they're doing. We're talking about the Shemitah year, the sabbatical year in the land, okay. and how it affects the economy. So, so what? So there's something called. It's a fascinating thing. It's called Hetter Mechira. Look at number six. And it's, um, what happened was. So this is not brought in the Talmud or anywhere. What happened was in the in the early um, years of the first Aliyah, which took place in like 1880s, first return from of European Jews. Can I use it for classic place? Can I use it for what? Classic place. Can I use it for? Uh, so in the early years um, of the first Aliyah, which was in the 1880s, was the first wave of European Jews coming to Palestine. So uh, what happened was they came and they, they started working the land. They were farmers. And then, and then all of a sudden came Shemitah. And they realized that the Shemitah's here. We're really screwed because the whole economy is finished. We were only surviving off the land. So they sent a halachic question back to, uh, to Europe, to great rabbis at the time. One of the main ones was Yitzhak Al-Khan Inspector, who was one of the main rabbis in Europe. What do we do? We're, we're not going to survive. We're going to die. If we keep Shemitah, if we observe the sabbatical year on the land, on the farm, we're, we're not going to make it. So basically, he came up with this loophole called the Hatamachira, which is that since it's not that the land has to, if it's not Jewish owned land, there's no prohibition. Arabs don't have to observe the Shemitah. So he said, what you do is sell your land to, uh, to an Arab, sell the farm to an Arab, and then you can continue to work it. 
um, as his employee, so to speak, and you get, and then you can live off the produce. He's paying you with produce, whatever the case was. So that was known as the heter mechir, literally the permission of the sale. So it was something that was a totally new concept, and it was very, obviously very controversial. Um, so like I said, this was in 1888, 1890. This is the first Shemitah after the first modern Aliyah of 1880s. Um, so even at the time, it was very controversial. But they had, they had no choice in, the, in the, what's called the Yishuv. In Israel at the time, they had to rely on it. Um, the problem is for today, so some the question was, was it only a permission given for that time? Where the people literally dying, you know, they're going to die if they didn't do it, couldn't survive? Or is it something that can be used even today? So it's interesting. There's a, even today, there's a big uh, controversy. The government, meaning the Rabbanut, used to rely on it. Today, they're more stringent. They don't rely on it. Because there are many more farmers today who do observe the Shemitah. But uh, there are people, the, the, the debate is because what happens if you observe Shemitah? How do you buy produce in Israel? So either they're importing it from Europe, many much of the produce, or they're getting it from the Arabs. They're getting it from the West Bank, from Gaza. The Israelis are buying <laughs> produce. So the question is, they say, listen, is it better to support terrorists? Right. But you're buying from the Arabs. You're basically Which supporting terrorism. terrorism. Or is it better to rely on this very big leniency of the Hatta Mechira? No, it's what, what would we rather do? So that's well, a big what debate. What did say, was it a time frame? He had to, in his room, well, he had to say, look, for this time, here's it is. He just said, listen, this is the leniency you can rely on. He didn't say it's limited to this time. It wasn't clear. The controversy, even when he said it, it was a lot of controversy because first of all, selling land, there's a biblical prohibition, by the way, to sell land to non-Jews in Israel. Right, state of isn't Israel. that more like a lease or a rent sale? You're not allowed to sell land um, in Eretz Israel to a non I mean, halachically to a non-Jew. But if you sell for a year, that's almost a lease or a rent, not a sale. So you're well, it has to be a sale. It can't be just yeah. rent. It has to be that they own it. So I don't know how that works legally, but but they anyway. Even till today, the government does this every year, every shemitah, every seven-year cycle. They sell the land. Some Arab guy owns everything, um, and a lot of farmers who who don't want to do this. That's what they rely on. So when you go to a supermarket, what's interesting in Israel? So here you can just buy produce from anywhere, but in Israel, the supermarket. The, the fruit store has to have a sign of a hash. And either it will say, um, the, the Tuda, the certificate will say, we rely on the Hatem Mechira, which is this, or it will say, this is non Eretz Israel produce. It will say it's non Israeli produce. Or from Arabs, it will say on the, on the hash. So different people will rely on different things. Um, so I'm going this summer. Someone probably did a PhD study on price spikes, which may be years. Oh, for sure. I mean, <laughs> for sure, produce is more expensive. Yeah. But um, because they have to import it. I mean, the yeah. problem is also the, what the, the issue is we're going to see is what do all these farmers do? I mean, they, how do they survive for the year? Um, so you look, look at actually, if uh, you look in the picture at the bottom here, actually, I found it online. It's a picture of a farm. It says in the Hebrew, it's a farm that says, Kan Shomrim Shmita. We observe, like Shomer Shabbat, we observe, where Shemitah observing? Shomrim Shemitah. Where is it? On the field? It's on the field, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so, so the question is, it's, it's probably, I would say, I mean, for us it's hard to relate to, we all have jobs, some of us, we, but uh, the point is that if you're a farmer and you're living in an agricultural society and all of a sudden everything shuts down for a year, I mean, basically the economy goes to hell in hand, basically. The whole economy shot. There's no, I mean, there's nothing. How do you survive? So this is so the Torah asked this question. So look at this. So if you continue, page one it says, um, so 
Um, let's let's skip down. Let's skip down to verse 19. It says so. Verse 19, New Testament it says, and the land will then yield its fruit. and you will eat its satiety. You live upon it securely. First of all, the, it seems to be linking, the, interestingly enough, the Torah is linking security of the land to keep to observing Shemitah. And we'll see is, is actually true. Meaning dwelling securely on the land is dependent on the observance of Shemitah. A pretty scary statement. And then it goes on to say, verse 20, and you're going to ask this question. So God, God is talking, he's saying, you're going to ask, what the heck am I supposed to eat in the seventh year? We're not selling, we're not gathering, we're not bringing our produce. So, so first of all, by the way, it's, as far as the laws of Shemitah, by the way, it doesn't mean you can't do anything to your field. You're allowed to, obviously, water, meaning you're allowed to do anything to keep, not in order, let's say you have an orchard, you have an apple orchard. It doesn't mean you have to let your trees die, because, I mean, obviously that, that would be ridiculous. It means you can't do anything to stimulate new growth. You're allowed to keep it alive, so it needs to be watered. Of course, you're allowed to water the trees. You're allowed to work the field to the level of keeping everything alive. What you can't do is you can't plant new stuff. You can't, and you can't stimulate new growth. So let's say pruning, pruning that's necessary for the, for the stability of the tree, you're allowed to do. Pruning that to stimulate new growth, it would be anything that's made to, to, to grow things new, that's the problem. Now, by the way, you're also allowed to eat the produce. You're allowed to survive on it. Whatever grows, you're allowed to take for yourself. What you can't do is, you can't sell it as a profit. You know, again, you can sustain yourself. You're allowed to take what your family needs. You're allowed to store it. But anything else, as we're going to see, is hefker. That means anyone can come in and take it. It's sort of like a socialist for one year, it becomes a socialist uh, country, so socialist like environment. Anyone can come in and take any produce. You're allowed to only take what you need to, to live on for your so family. Do you have to plant like wheat and smelt and oats every time, or will it just grow in that field? So it depends. Uh, and I'm not an agriculturalist. Mm. Usually, first of all, you're planting in the sixth year. We're going to talk about you. For the seventh year crop, you don't plant in the seventh year. You plant in the last year. So the question is what you plant. Even in the sixth year, it's problematic. We'll talk about that. But the point is, whatever you planted, you're, you're allowed to sustain. You're allowed, to, you're allowed to live. You're not saying you have to starve yourself. What you do is you can't against, uh, plant new stuff, work the field to stimulate new growth, and you can't, um, you can't hoard it. Anything that you don't need for your own family. Okay? So, so uh, it has to do with charity. We'll talk about it in a second. So basically, we're talking um, social, socialism 101, in a certain sense. Um, so it's every 50 years. It's every seven years. Oh, wow. So now look, then he goes on to say, so, so again, you're going to ask the question, so what am I going to eat? So it says Hashem, says God, in Pasuk Chafal, I will command my blessing, in the sixth year, so God says in the sixth year, you're not only going to have a bumper crop, for the sixth year, you're going to have a triple bumper crop. It means God is saying, if you observe Shemitah, you're going to have a triple bumper crop. In the sixth year, you'll have enough, that's what it says, in, um, for, the, for three years. That means you'll grow enough for the sixth year, seventh year, and the eighth year. Because again, you're not planting in the seventh year. That means the eighth year, you're going to be starving also. So God so says, in the sixth year, you're going to, your crop of the sixth year will give you enough uh, wheat for the sixth, seventh, and eighth years. Or does it mean that the six-year crop will, ye will yield its produce for three years? Yes. You'll be able to yield produce for three years. That's what I'm saying. You'll have well, no, not, on the, not in the sixth year it gives you three times the amount, 
you're still going to have things for three years. No, well, it doesn't work. But again, there's, there's annuals that you have to plant every year. So I mean, if you didn't plant it in seventy, you're not going to have. Well, like, let's say it's not olive, a, it's not olive a magic trees, trick. Olive trees, because they grow over there, right? right? Olive so trees. Okay? Yeah. So you put your olive trees in year six, and they're ready to go. You prune them. You do everything year six. You feed them. You get ready. Okay. Then you don't touch them. You, and you, the rest of year six, then year seven, and then you got to do, that won't harvest until the end of year eight, right? Yes, so what I'm saying problem. is, that's what fine. I'm reading here is, okay, you're going to do whatever in year six, and year six, and year seven, so, and year eight, these so trees will are produce your... Because they're always there, they're constantly producing, you don't have to do much. That's why I asked the trees. But wheat, you plant annually, you have to plant, so it's a year, it's an annual crop. It's that's like why that. I asked. When so, so meaning the, what God is saying here is in the sixth year, you're going to have enough wheat. Three times, for, not that it's going to go three right. years, okay. Right, so now, now then he goes on to say, and you will sell in the eighth year, you'll still be eating the old wheat, the old grain, um, until the ninth year. Because you're first going to plant in the eighth year. That wheat is not going to come out until the, right. the end of the year. So he's saying in the eighth, you're still, in the ninth year, you'll still, you still have enough to get you through until the ninth year. So now what's obviously, and this is a big, this is a pretty big blessing. So the question is what really happened? Not only that, so this is actually, I would say, and I think Discovery might use this in one of their seminars, this is one of the proofs that the Torah had to have been God-written. Because it, we, imagine someone was starting a religion, right? Uh, Allah, uh, Muhammad is starting a religion, whoever. Um, right? uh, Joseph, what's the Mormon guy? Joseph. Joseph who? Well, Smith. Smith, Smith, Smith Joseph Smith. Smith. Okay. So right, imagine Joseph Smith. So you're starting a religion, and then you, it's an agricultural society, and you're telling all the farmers, okay, six, six <laughs> years from now, that's it, shut it, you're going to shut it down, and in the sixth year, I promise you, you're going to have a triple bumper crop. Okay, so that religion will only last seven years, because as soon as that, in the sixth year, when everyone's starving and they don't have anything to eat, the religion's over, I mean, and you're proven to be false. It would be the stupid, it would be, for any human being to make this promise, it would be a very stupid statement. Because in six years you prove it either either religion is proven true or false. Only God could have made the statement. Um, the question is what really what happened throughout history. That I can't tell you. I'm not a historian. Um, they have today in Israel. They have all these stories that people do observe. There are many farmers who do uh, observe it, and you know they have all these miracle stories with the you know every field around that there was a drought. All the banana f- no one had bananas except the guy who was observing Shemitah. Because there are many stories like that. I've never seen it firsthand. I can't tell you for sure it happened, but if you go on the internet, there are many of these stories. Um, there's actually one famous story with the, with the, um, Rabbi with the saw, no, there's a, in 1951, with the Jewish agency, was giving out grants for fields, and uh, there was some religious farmers who said, listen, we're going to take the grant, but next year is a Shemitah year, we can't use it, so they said, we refused to give it, and it became big to do, I think Ben-Gurion got involved, finally convinced them to, to do the, to do, uh, the Jewish agency gave grants even for those religious farmers. There's like three of them, and and those were the only fields that uh, actually produced for the next ten years. Like um, it's a big story in Israel, but again, I wasn't there. I can't vouch for the authenticity, but but clearly, God, it, it's a big, it's an unbelievable um, uh, tall order. Basically, God's saying, I mean, you're gonna in the sixth year, you're gonna know, you're gonna have a, a triple bumper crop, okay? And in actuality. I mean, it's like I'm saying, it's still one of the probably the biggest leaps of faith to, to tell a farmer that just shut down the business for a year, go go to Hawaii, chill out, join a kolo, and and uh, you know that's what they do. Uh, like the farmers today in Israel, 
So today, I can just tell you, they do, they fundraise for them. <laughs> Come to America, <coughs> there's, a, there's a thing called Karen Ashvies, where they actually, you can adopt a farmer. They have like an adopt a farmer. You adopt a, a farmer in Israel who's, who's observing Shvies. <laughs> and basically you pay for the year, because what they do is they, they go to college, they learn all year, study actually having cultural laws and basically for a year, they I mean they don't work their field. I mean, even read an article last week on, on gardeners in Israel. Anyway, farmers, if you're a gardener, it's the same issue, just if you're a local gardener. You know, they don't have Mexicans in Israel, so they're actually Jews who are gardeners. So the, the point is, so they, 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 um, they, they have the same issue, meaning the gardeners have to tell their clients, listen, we can't, there's only, the religious gardeners, there's only so much we can do. We can't stimulate new growth, we can just, we can cut your things to make them look pretty, existing things, we can't plant new stuff. So even the gardeners there, a lot of them have issues, they have to find other methods of making a living for this year. So it's a, not a simple thing, it's a, it's a major leap of faith, which is really, in a certain sense, what the point is here. So, if you turn the page, because I found no less than five reasons that I came up with um, in the in the commentaries of, of what's the point of Shemitah. Okay. So by the way, I found of course the modern environmentalists love this. I mean, all the left and Jews. There's a site I found. Um, it's called it's an organization called Chazon, where they push. Uh, they have a farm farming in, in America. Actually, uh, Kenny's son went there mm-hmm. last oh. summer to be a farmer, they teach you farming methods, but it's like a socialist environment, it's like kibbutz. And uh, they, they have a whole website on Shemitah, not a religion, they're not Orthodox, <coughs> but uh, how this helps society, so that's why I found, um, it's amazing if you go to their website. But anyway, so they, um, um, so the reason they found are like this, and the reason number one, given as to what's the point of this, is just as Shabbat is a testimony that God of creation, and what's the point of Shabbat? Why do we observe Shabbat every week? Seventh day is telling us we're te- it's testifying that God created the world in seven, six days, and uh, and the seventh day He rested. Right? That the concept of creationism, which has constantly been under attack, not just recently, but throughout the history of the world. I mean, um, the concept of creationism has been under attack, and that's the point of living a life where every week you're testifying to that fact that God created the world. And six days, you work six days, you rest on the seventh, as God did. So too, they say, um, the Chinuch explains that Shemitah, Chinuch, is the same thing. That you're testifying, the fact that you're showing is you're working the land for six days, you're testifying to this concept of Shabbat. Um, number two, it says, man will remember the land is bringing forth its produce, not by virtue of its own strength, and we are not the masters of the land. So this is a key point, which is in all business, Jewish business ethics, but specifically as a farmer, um, it comes out when you you work the land, and what's called the concept, the Torah calls it kochi This is my strength. Listen, I, I woke up at 4 a.m. every day to milk the cows, to, to, to plant, to, to plow, and then when the produce comes out, you know, this is, this is all my handiwork. So the, 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 the goal here is, the goal of Shemitah is not, not so quick. You don't get all the credit. That it's really God, God is in charge um, of the land, as we know, because someone, many times you can work the land, and of course it doesn't produce. In this case, you could not work the land in the sixth year and you'll have a triple bump crop. So, so the point is to show that God is in control. You're of not just, but it's of course not just applicable to farming, it's applicable to all, all uh, whatever career choice you make. Uh, I'm sure someone's written something on the numerical value of why, why that year? And why, 
what do we know? Why seven? Yeah. Oh, there's seven the number seven is always, yeah, right. seven in Judaism is always, a, well, it has to do with Shabbat, but right. it's also nature, it's, it's the kind of nature. The eighth year is beyond nature, yeah, so all right. the regular number things come into play. What year did we, get, we cross into, what year did God give us Israel with, with Joshua? What's the What's the numerical? numerical? I don't know. Because technically, weren't uh, didn't Abraham and weren't they weren't they uh, practicing shemitah too? They they knew the Torah. It was it was maybe when they were in Israel, if they farmed. Yeah, is there gematria on release on shemitah on the actual word? What the word shemitah? Yeah. By the way, the no, Christians are. All, I don't, I don't know. There's a whole book. By the way, it was published last year by a guy, not non-Jewish, it's called the Mystery of Shemitah. Uh, the Christians are very into this. The yeah. evangelical, I don't know which denomination, they, every Shemitah they say is, it's a... Well, because that's when uh, they believe Messiah is coming. Full moon, year. red moons, I mean, this woman right, was telling oh, me... Oh, that's, uh, what's his name, Hagee's new book, is the red... Yeah, so it's all about Shemitah. They're very into the Shemitah thing. Well, they say it's a cycle. Yeah, exactly. that's and his and red also moon that uh, there's going to be economic disaster. <laughs> they claim that every, sh- yeah. every Shemitah is economic disaster. Right. 2015 is sell all your stocks. Because it has to do with the economy. I mean, the Shemitah, in a certain sense, that's what it is. It's, economic, it's telling you that the world has to go yeah. social. So, um, so, I don't know, so number two is a key thing within all business ethics, but we see it from Shemitah, this concept of realizing that it's not up to you. doesn't mean, you again, you have to do the work, but it's up to God whether you're going to have a good crop and what your income is going to be. Number three is to acquire the trait of willing to forgo what he sees as his due. Because it's very hard as humans, I did the work, it should be mine. And all of a sudden you have to open your field. Like we said, anything more than you need for your family becomes hefka. It means it's free for anyone. Anyone can walk into your field and says you have to leave your gates open. You can't lock the gates. And it can walk in and take the produce. Um, so that's a very hard human trait to overcome, which is, listen, I, I work for this. Why should uh, someone else get it? Right? You know we have a problem with that, especially if you're Republican. Um, um, number four, to bring out con- uh, kindness and compassion to the less fortunate without anticipation of worldly compensation. So again, you, it's about staka. Basically, your your field, all your produce belongs to everyone who who, want, who wants it, um, and you're not going to get. There's no reward. Normally, when you do a favor, you get the honor here. Basically, in this world, you know, anyone can take it. There's no compensation. Number five, by acknowledging that God is the sole owner. Um, this is reversed. Uh, uh, says a beautiful thing. He puts it all together, like a few of the reasons. He says, by acknowledging that God is the sole owner and master of one's land, the person recognizes that he is ultimately like an alien who dwells in the land only through tolerance of the owner, meaning God. You know, it's meaning the concept of owning real estate um, is, you know, is that's, as humans, uh, it's mine. This is my piece of property. Isn't it? So God is saying, nah, nah, you know, it's, nothing's really yours. You don't really own it. That humbling feeling, meaning that's what Shemitah is. Shemitah is saying, it's, it's not yours. You, anyone can come in, you can't work it, you can't decide what's going to happen to it. So that humbling feeling does away with the arrogance that stems from the pride of standing on one's soul. And in that humble state, one can engender the poor and even the animals and sharing the bounty of the land. So sort of putting together all the answers reversed and, um, and saying that, it, that the, all these important aspects come together. It's not your land, it's, it's, you, know, you, you become cognizant of the fact you don't really own it in that sense, because God owns everything. So that's a key point, I think, in all, for all business ethics. So this, actually, the next two things I took from this site, Chazon, 
they talk about, you know, they love this stuff because it's how's socialism. That, how's that your key point? We're all just renting. How's that a key point in the business, in the overall business ethics? The recognition of the founder. Yeah, meaning that not, there's nothing, nothing's really yours. Everything's unknown, as, as Rush Limbaugh says, unknown from God. Right? Every, everything's unknown from God. We, you don't own your body, you don't own your land, you don't own your business. You know, how much you're going to make? Look, I look at it, listen, I put the work in, so my returns are mine, they're mine. You, like we mentioned many times, you, two people can go the same as they went to Harvard Business School, they both graduated with, uh, you know, a PhD in whatever it is, you know, it's an MBA, and one guy's, uh, both got the same job, have the same skills, same IQ. One guy's making millions, the other guy's making nothing. It's a total failure. Why? So clearly it's not just about the work. There's, an, there's other factors we believe that at the end of the day it's God that uh, it's gonna, that's making how, how much you're going to make is not up to you again you have to put in the effort you can't just sit back and chill and, and say God will provide okay, so, that, so, so the, the socialists love this stuff and they love the, so, it says, so they, I took this from the website it says economy to whom does our economy belong Wall Street, Main Street, the worker, the business owner, the government I'm talking about Shemitah here according to the Torah none of the above belongs to God that's the fundamental idea behind the concept of canceling debt. So there's another aspect we didn't mention, another, another very important thing, small thing, which is that also all your debts that you're owed in Shemitah are basically canceled. So anyone owes you money, not, we'll talk about not HFLA, um, but uh, any personal debts technically disappear, get erased in Shemitah. So basically every seven years is a restart on the economy. And then if that's considered... Sadaka, and um, so you're guaranteed to get. Yeah, but it's still a very double. scary thing. So much so, <laughs> by the way, that 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 the at some point in Jewish history, no one people just stopped lending. A year a year before Shemitah, no one wanted to lend any money, which obviously could be a major problem for an economy. So you had the 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 it was an agricultural society. All agriculture stops, and all lending stopped. Basically, can kill a country very quickly. So so. Uh, the at the time Hillel this took place during the first temple period I believe so famous Hillel Azakin Hillel the scholar he invented another loophole it's beautiful about Judaism it's called the Prusbal which basically the, these, this thing that it erases debt is only specifically on a personal loan but let's say like a, it's an organization or it's a bet in let's say you're fined by the courts and you owe the courts money or you owe taxes that doesn't get erased so what it is, basically, it's, it's a legal document, and it's still done today. People have personal loans. Where you hand over your loan to the court. You're saying, you're in charge of collecting my loan. So therefore, that loan will no longer get erased. Because even though nothing really happens, still, you go and collect it. But you're giving the court the right to collect that loan, and therefore, it's no longer considered a personal loan. And that, and that document allows you to collect your loan during Shemitah. Because people stop lending. So it was a big problem. It was a loophole they come up with. <coughs> By the way, even Shemitah itself, it's proud, like we're saying, it's one of the hardest leaps of faith. God could promise all he wants, but at the end of the day, you got to feed your family, you got to pay the mortgage. Right? So, so um, throughout history, it says it wasn't observed to its fullest, and, that's, and like it says, as you mentioned before, the, the security of the land is dependent on it. So one of the reasons, because for Korban Bayesh Rishon, the reason for the first destruction of the first temple, says was because there was lack of observance of Shemitah. As a matter of fact, if you do the numbers, speaking of numbers, so the Talmud says, if you take the numbers from when they came into the land of Shemitah, um, from Joshua's time, until the, uh, until 
the end, when total destruction of the first temple. So if you, if you do the math, every seven years is Shemitah. So, so it comes out from Joshua till the destruction of the temple. There were 70 cycles of Shemitah, 70 Shemitahs that, were, that weren't observed properly. 70 is the exact amount of years until this, between the first and second temples. Meaning the second temple, the first temple was destroyed. Seventy years later was when the second temple was built. Seventy-year exile where they went to Babylonia to Persia, and then they came back with Ezra came back to build the second temple. Seventy years later, that's the exact amount of shemitahs of years that shemitah was not observed from Joshua to the destruction of the temple. It's a pretty cool uh, calculation. That's what the Gemara says. Because again, the, the, the security of dwelling in the land of Israel is dependent on the observance of shemitah. That's what the Torah says. So, so, of course, they also try to take, apply it not just today, because if you don't live in Israel, it's not relevant. So it's technology. How can those of us who are not farmers don't feel obligated by Jewish law and don't live in Israel make use of this concept of laying fallow to better balance our lives in a fast paced world? So they say, let's reinterpret land as digital landscape. This is a. <laughs> no, <laughs> this is this place. So we can't, you're not supposed to update your website or something like that. No, no that's right. Unplug. unplug. How about a year of reinterpreting Shemitah for our cluttered techie lives? There are a few ideas: no screens while eating, no emails in bed, pre-post sleep, no GPS for a month, more face-to-face, less clicks, plan ahead, look around, ask so directions, <laughs> rest, reset, restore, enjoying the, the revival of Judaism, sacred cycle of seven as a radical tool for sustaining sustainable and, sac- and sacred living in the 21st century. Of course, by the way, the environmentalists use Shemitah as a proof of uh, sustainable land. They, they have to let the land rest because the land has to sustain itself. It's like, so you, that's also a big thing. And no fracking and whatever during Shemitah. So that's a, that's a big part of uh, people use Shemitah as a proof to environmentalism and the, the land renewing itself, etc. Which again, the Jewish sources doesn't really say that. Does it, does it define a crop at all? Does it define a crop? What do you mean? Does it work? the land? Is extracting the minerals? Not growing a crop? Can you still mine gold or silver? Oh, no. Yeah. It doesn't do no problem. Say growth. it again? Yeah. It's no problem. It doesn't do problem. Yeah. No prohibition in mining. <laughs> fracking, not a problem. Right. Well, you just said no fracking. No, no you said the environmentalists oh, use oh, yeah, it. Okay. These people, the, these, this site, Chazon, wants to use it. Right. I'm saying it's a distortion. Total wise, it's not. So it's like a tailor. It doesn't really do anything. The tailor, she goes, okay, fine, whatever. Yeah. Oh, cool. yeah. It's not relevant. Listen, it's relevant in Israel because when you shop, you have to be careful of how you shop. Also, it says that automatically the, 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 the land, the produce is holy, Shemitah, because it's the seventh battle of like Shabbat. So, therefore, even by the way, if you eat Shemitah crops, let's say you're a farmer or you eat your own, or you're allowed to, by the way, you're allowed to sell the, the produce, your extra produce, but you can't make a profit on it. So if you go to Israel, it's actually cheaper. When I was there, I remember one year, one Shemitah, when I was in Yeshiva, so they were selling wine, and it says in the bottle, big letters, uh, um, uh, the language is something Shemitah, Otsir uh, Bezdin, that's what's called. The Bezdin officially has to sell it at, at price, at cost. You could sell at cost. Of what it, what the effort so the farmer put in. Vineyard open, and you can pay all the employees. Right. So but you, you sell, can't make a profit. I got you. So you can sell at a cost. So and you, so it's actually cheaper. So they're selling. I bought a case of wine. Um, at, at cost technically, but I mean, still it costs money. It's okay to eat it. It's okay to eat it. Now and the problem is, but it has kedusha. This is one of the 
major problems in Israel today. It has holiness. So you're not allowed to waste it. Um, meaning you can't just leave it over on your plate and say you ate a tomato. You have to finish the tomato. Because <laughs> it's holy, you can't throw it out. So either you can let it rot, or so even wine, by the way, you're not allowed to waste it. Let's say Havdali, you know, because it grew during Shemit. Anything grew during Shemit, the Torah calls it cottage. So, so for example, the wine, this wine, it says on the bottle, you can't use it for Avdal because Avdal you pour it over. You know, you're supposed to pour it over, you let the wine drip over. Yeah, right. So you can't do that because it's wasting. And this is all, yeah. so you wouldn't be able to use it for Avdal. Like, so there are very, even the orange peels, you can't throw out because they have holidays, so you can't throw in the garbage. So everyone has composts in their, they have like these buckets for Shemitah waste. And you just let it rot. It's oh. compost. So it's like my, it's like There's living in. The product produced from that. Produce-wise. No, the problem is you don't want to buy that stuff because it's so limited. What you like, you have to be careful. You know, you pitfalls down. You gotta find. Yeah. It. <laughs> so, so, so I'm saying, no one, the regular religious people in Israel just buy Arab produce. The easiest is Arab produce. This makes life easier. That's what they do. They import Arab produce. So the Arabs have a have a windfall. The Arabs have a windfall. I mean, in Shemitah here, because they're, I mean, they're selling, you know, much more than they usually sell. They get stuff from Jordan also. I mean, Jordan has Jordan has free trade with Israel. It's the only Arab country that uh, total free trade. They don't they don't announce it. But they don't publicize. It. Um, so I want to just show one more thing because we're over time. So right in the middle, if you just turn back to page. Uh, one again. So in the middle, it throws in there. We met. We said this verse in other contexts in the past. It says uh, verse 17. It says, "You shall not wrong your fellow man." Meaning, it talks about cheating your fellow. So what is it? All of a sudden, in the middle of Shemitah throws in, "Don't cheat your fellow man." What, is, what does it have to do with? It? So I, I put down as a beautiful. Um, my friend explains like this. He says. Um, he says that this is no. This is the key point of Shemitah. Again, if you the philosophy of Shemitah is believing that everything that God's in charge of everything. So if you truly believe that, it's all. It's also about cheating and stealing. Meaning you're never gonna. If a guy, you know, in this in a very simplistic way, meaning we believe if everything your your uh, portfolio is decided for the year, right? So you're gonna make you know hundred thousand dollars this year. Okay. So if I go and steal, let's say a thousand dollars, according to this philosophy. I'm not going to get that thousand dollars. I'm going to end up having to. My air conditioner is going to break. My car is going to break down. I mean, it's cost me a thousand dollars in repairs. Because if you truly believe that everything comes from God, so then stealing, cheating someone's not going to help. So that's why it's putting in here in this right in the middle of Shemitah. It throws in, "Don't cheat your friend," because it's the same philosophy. In Judaism, we believe again. If you believe that God controls uh, your portfolio too, and it all is decided. Up about you see, it's not you who, who are deciding how much you're going to make. So stealing, cheating someone just because I, I you know changed something on my tax return, it's not going to help me. And and there's many stories. Uh, charity, I always say a story. Ray Nagel had a had a friend in his father's shul. His father had a friend in the shul. So the shul was doing a building fund, and they said, you know, they they wanted from every member or whatever it was six hundred fifty dollars every member for the new building fund. And this guy said, listen, I'm moving in, I'm moving out of the community. I'm, I don't need the building. So I'm not going to be here to. I'm not giving for the building fund. So his, his father told me stories. So the next morning, he walks into shul, and uh, and the guy's got, like cursing and saying, "I'm not gonna believe what happened. My car broke down. The carburetor cost me six hundred fifty dollars." He didn't realize what he was saying. Like everyone just cracked up. The day before, he's like saying, "I'm not giving this." It was the same exact number. His car broke down. That's what it cost. Because you can't. Uh, at the end of the day, 
you know, it's stealing, cheating, it's not going to end up, you're not going to end up gaining. You get, you get what you're supposed to get. You like that one. like that one. You like that one. There's more, but, uh, again, some of us got to work for a little bit. Would you say yeah. modern agronomy may be based on this concept of that one? Yeah, I mean, it's clear. The Torah doesn't say that, but it's clear the, the land is resting. And the concept of you know that there's that was something we've been talking. Yeah, I mean, right. I'm saying I remember when I was in grade school. Right, you think you're supposed to rotate the crop, rotate two years rice and then one year soybeans. Exactly. The Torah says it. It doesn't say that's the reason. Doesn't give that as a reason. Chemicals. Don't use chemicals because if you let it go fallow, exactly. Plow the crop back into the soil. It puts nutrients back into the soil. Right. So the Torah doesn't give that reason, but that clearly could be. Obviously, it's helpful for the for the land. Yeah. Teach it at A&M and. You have been listening to the MP3 project from the Jewish Ethics Institute. For a complete selection of our lectures, please visit our website at j-ethics.org. Shalom.